0: Of old Mexico. All right, folks, we're joined by Stefan Molyneux, so who is a, a very, very interesting fellow. He's been on the broadcast before. I guess you could almost call him a hyper-libertarian or anarchic capitalist, uh, and he's also a, a author of two novels, um, and I'm very excited to get him on the uh, broadcast uh, here today. This is a short segment, long segment coming up, and we'll jam your calls in, too, towards the end, regardless. I know people have been holding for a while, so we'll get to you. But I wanted to bring this up to Stefan, that's the reason I wanted to get him on. If you look at the world today, now more than ever, from my perspective, there is a mass awakening. I know I keep hammering this because it's it's so incredible to see it happening. Even the New York Sun said collapse of American influence recalls disintegration of Soviet Union, fall of France. Well, this is the fall of the corporate globalists that are in control of us. And I'm not saying it's happened yet. But the, the acceleration of the awakening, the people not buying into it, the, 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 the rapid decline of the dominant mainstream media, they're no longer dominant. Uh, the, the, the rise of the new media, I wanted to ask Stefan Molyneux, a pretty smart guy, I almost call him historian, where he thinks we are historically and how he thinks the empire is going to strike back, or if he disagrees with me that a hyper-awakening is beginning. Uh, Stefan, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Alex. Uh, Alex, It's great to be back. How are you doing?
0: Good. So you just heard my little preface there. Where do you think we are culturally worldwide right now? Do you agree or disagree? Or what can you add to what I just said?
1: Well, I think that we're in a, a fascinating place historically. I would argue that it's really been probably half a millennia or so since we've been in such an exciting place for the transition of humankind to a higher moral plane. You really, I think, would have to go back to the invention of the printing press, which took the religious texts and the Greek philosophy texts and the Roman political texts and rhetoric texts out of the hands of the monks and the priesthood and put them in the hands of the common people. So people could read original texts and they didn't have to learn Latin. They could read in the vernacular as Martin Luther translated the Bible into the vernacular. This put information into the hands of the people. And it had a huge effect on breaking the power of the aristocracy, of the monopoly of Christendom, which the Catholic Church had at the time. And it really gave people access to information that before they had to go through biased people to get. Now, of course, we can get information about the world without having to go through the court toadies known as the mainstream media. We can actually get direct information from who are regularly called our enemies who have a very important perspective in conflicts. We can get information from people passionate about truth who aren't wedded or bound into the systems of power that currently strangle humanity. 91% of Americans don't want another costly war or even cheap war in the Middle East. They're skeptical about escalation in Syria. They're skeptical about what the government says. 60% say they have little to no trust in the mass media. So, And it's not like they don't want information anymore. They're just going to alternative sources, which are, I think, unbiased sources. We don't rely, people like you and I don't rely, on government handouts, which we read off and call news to our audience. We are responsible for going, digging up the truth, no matter how painful, no matter how difficult, and presenting it to people. And we are not bound to the systems of power. That gives people a clear, unbiased view, I think, of what is happening in the world. And that kind of transition hasn't occurred for probably about 500 years. And that gave rise to the Renaissance, to the Enlightenment, to the Age of Reason, the scientific method, to capitalism. I think this is going to be even faster and and more powerful. So I think that we really are riding a crest of unbelievable
0: potential for the moral progress of the species. Incredibly well said, and I couldn't agree more, Stefan. Then uh, let me ask you this question. How will the empire strike back? Shouldn't we be girting ourselves for their attempt to bully us back under their control? Well, force works really well in controlling
1: a population as long as they don't view it as force. The moment that the the fist comes out of the glove uh, and people see the naked might and power of the state, they recoil and they recognize that they're not free. You know, as long as they can camouflage the sort of tax cattle electric fences with uh, bushes and, and hang little ornaments on it and say, oh, there's a nice <laughs> set of bushes over there, then then we're fine. But so what's oh. happening is we are beginning to see the naked power. That's behind the curtain and once people see that they recoil human beings really can only be kept in cages that they can't see the moment that they see them we turn from like domesticated dolphins into great white sharks and we'll chew our way out of the aquarium no matter what the cost and I think that we're working really to show the gun in the room which is state power which is the power of the moneyed interests, which is the power of the, the cabals that, that run the world that are sort of behind the media behind even the politicians we're starting to see that which is incredible all you have to do is show evil and it will be resisted and overthrown. As long as evil can present itself as virtue, as protection, as law and order, as stability, well, that lie is all falling apart. And once we, once people see evil for what it is, it is always overthrown. People didn't oppose slavery as long Stephon, as they thought slavery there. was like the uh, white folks, man's
0: burden. Stefan, stay there. We gotta get this gone more often. It's like a year past, he hadn't been on. I'm like, where's well, Stefan? Amazing, and we're gonna come right back to you, sir. Thank you.
2: From the front lines of the information war, It's Alex Jones.
0: All right, your calls are coming up for Stefan Molyneux. It's freedomainradio.com. Hundreds of millions of people have downloaded uh, his work just on YouTube alone. And that's got to really upset the globalists. There's not just Alex Jones out there or a Ron Paul or a Matt Drudge or all the other great people out there that are really promoting the human awakening and fighting the state-run media. It's that there's so many prominent people that they can't get us all, and we live all over the world. Stefan lives up in Canada, at least last time I checked, and I just wanted to get him on so you could get his perspective on history, on the way things work, on the mind control that the system's engaged in. But what he just said is what I basically said in a different way in the first hour, that once humans awaken to the fact that they're being persecuted, manipulated, nothing can stop us. If we just passively resist the system, it's over. But at the same time, I I see it almost like triage. You've got so many people that have been turned into Hollywood head, narcissists who have been basically programmed to follow whatever Madison Avenue says. So I see that really as the biggest revolution, waking up to how they program these false rights and these distractionary issues away from basic freedoms. And so I wanted to get your take on that. I'm seeing the awakening by what you'd call thinking people across the left, right, those paradigms shattering, people really not trusting the system and actually understanding false flag. That's now in the vernacular. That's now in the common nomenclature and it's accelerating. But for those that are in the matrix, I see them getting even more mindless, more almost like it's stylish to be stupid and to be abused and to be conned. What do you think is going to happen to those people? And can you speak to uh, the, the points I've made and, and, and then add your own points about narcissism being the programming cult system? Because narcissism is like a fake version of individualism because it's programmed by the narcissistic programmers in the media versus individualism, which they then demonize and claim is some self-centered narcissism when it's actually the opposite.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot in there. Uh, certainly things like sociopathy, one of the most dangerous mental states has doubled. Rates of sociopathy have doubled over the last uh, 15 years, which is incredibly tragic. And of course, it's simply creating another crop of politicians to wrap their spiny little hands around our throats. But I would argue that we are distracted, of course, by materialism. I've always loved the the challenges and complexities of the English language. So the word possession is something you own, but it's also a word for a devil that inhabits you and and tells you what to do. And I think that this sort of (laughs) vanity and narcissism uh, and the the focus on possessions, uh, it's the oldest battle of philosophy. Do we focus on virtue and courage and strength and speaking truth to power and fighting for the freedom of all? or do we want the latest iphone uh, and shiny toys to distract ourselves with and and the elites are always in the 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 uh, the business of giving us better and more shiny toys so that we stay home playing call of duty rather than engage in the real fight uh, for the future but i think enough people are are waking up to the urgency and the importance of what's happening, you know, a lot of people will see a system starting to fail uh, through, philosophically, like on, basis, on the basis of principles. When you violate the non-aggression principle, when you violate property rights, you set yourself up for conditions of significant failure. You can see this coming as many Austrian economists, Ayn Rand and other thinkers did decades ago. But then there are other people who have to kind of hit rock bottom you know, like some guy can tell you, you know, cocaine and hooker is not the way to go, man. But until you wake up in a Vegas ditch with some underpants on your head, naked uh, with an armadillo uh, attached to you in some horrible way, you just don't wake up. And so a lot of people now having gone through this worst and greatest recession slash depression of the last 60 or 70 years are recognizing that the system doesn't work and they're in search of answers. And before they would have been fed the pablum, they would have been fed the soma of the general narrative of, well, we need more government, we need more bailouts, we need more force, we need more wars, we need more prisoners, we need more police, we need more guns in the hands of the state. And people aren't believing that anymore. Like, for instance, you don't hear people say, well, if we only spent more on public school education, they'd get better. And we don't hear that anymore. The government is out of answers because there's no possibility that we could give the government more power than we've given them already without becoming a complete dictatorship. So nobody's really talking about more power to the government and people are starting to listen to less violation of property rights less initiation of the use of force less debt less fiat slavery less less uh, student debt slavery and they're really starting to be open i think we're at the end of that pendulum and starting to swing back but dear lord above it requires some strong souls to push in the right direction
0: i agree with you but but i mean take the the extreme end of libertarianism i then see peter thiel and other big globalist steering uh the discussion where now the establishment has been tax exempt, they've been above the law, they've had diplomatic immunity, and now they're kind of pushing a libertarian idea of where, okay, now they've stolen everything, and I'm not even saying he particularly stole things, but the power structure in a command and control system where they have monopolies and oligopolies and combines and they're exempt or partially exempt. Now they're arguing since they've already stolen everything, oh yes, we do back a, a privatization, we do, back a consolidation, but it's really a evil doppelganger of a true local free market system. So so, so how do you respond to the concerns out there that you've got a lot of really dangerous forces that now want to segue into a lower tax, smaller government system because they've actually now become the centers of gravity themselves in corporate governance?
1: Well, of course, uh, if a farmer's uh, – then they've tried this throughout sort of machine farming or factory farming. If, if, the, if the stalls get too small, then the cattle start banging their head back and forth and they, they get infections and they die and you can't, you can't even use their meat, let alone their milk. And so what the farmers do is they widen the stalls and they say, well, this is a little too confined. Let's just stretch that out a little bit, because the cows are beating their own heads to death. Now that's not, they're not about to set the cows free for heaven's sakes. They're just trying to give a little more freedom because they've found that there's too much control, too much coercion, too much top-down. Hyperregulation. So what they're doing is they're going to take the shackles off the market a little bit. They're not dumb. They know that they've gone too far in the direction of, of fascism and totalitarianism. They'll take these shackles a little bit loose you know the the end of a free-range chicken is not freedom in the woods it's the chicken mcnugget box and that's exactly where we're headed unless we realize that we don't want bigger stalls we don't want a little bit less regulation we don't want lower taxation we want to examine the whole question of how human society is is organized and say do we necessarily always have to have this group of soulless people with a monopoly on violence right at the center of society. How small can we shrink this thing and still have something that functions? And um, yeah, they'll, they'll give us a little more freedom, but uh, it's only to save their own skin. And most dangerously, I think, what they're going to do, as they generally do when a financial system begins to fall apart, they'll provoke a war. And through that war, they kill off the dependent classes, right? The poor, the people on welfare. Uh, this is how they kill off the dependent classes. Now, I don't think that there's going to be like a World War Three. The nukes have rendered that pretty much impossible because actually the leaders now pay for war in a way that they didn't used to. But they're will be a huge sacrifice i believe of the dependent classes uh welfare will be cut old age security pensions will be cut uh and uh, people are going to have a really really rough time of it and naturally of course all the people who like the free market will be blamed for this uh and will be told that we don't care about the poor but the only people who care about the poor are those who really challenge this dependency culture and this uh you know fruits of the forced labor of others culture that is so characterized oh yeah the late there's Empire,
0: no there's no doubt the welfare state is designed to create a permanent peasant class and wrecks everybody it's involved in. They can point out a few success stories, but uh, they are few and far between. And and I want to get into Syria with you and then some phone calls. But specifically, I understand what you're saying. And people could say, "Well, Alex, you know, you're saying work in the system." I say work in the system to make it smaller, while we work culturally to wake people up to the great truths that individualism is what empowers someone. It's what makes them. I mean, a plant that doesn't get rained on or get you know wind blowing on it that grows up indoors will usually end up falling over and dying. It, it needs those stresses. That which doesn't kill us only makes us stronger. I understand that. I'm saying, how do we stop the Bilderbergs and other globalists and people who mainly got their money, if you look at them, from monopolies through government? How do we stop them from co-opting the liberty movement and, and, the, and then only selectively delivering freedom uh, in kind of an Elysium type situation. Well, it's, it's all about the
1: principles. You know, I think the greatest successful revolutions in history have all been based upon principle. There was a principle which the founding fathers pursued, which was as small a government as humanly possible. Government is a necessary evil at best and should be kept as small as humanly possible. That was a principled argument. They had a whole Enlightenment series of philosophers behind them making that case for the free market and a very tiny government, as they said, uh, bound down by the chains of the Constitution. Uh, if you look at uh, the end of slavery, they didn't say, well, it'll be more economic economically productive if we don't have slavery, they said, no, slavery is an unmitigatable moral evil. And they kept pounding the moral argument, the moral argument, the moral argument. That's, I think, it's the biggest, slowest and most powerful lever that moves the world. We have to keep making the case. We have a right to our own money. We have a right to our own trade. We have a right to our own property. We should not have to pay off the government like the mafia simply to live in the houses that we've built with our own hands. We have a right to liberty. We have a right to freedom of communication. We have a right to freedom from surveillance. And these are fundamental rights. And to violate them is a moral evil. We have to keep pounding that. And once people see that, nobody's pro-slavery anymore. And nobody will be pro these kinds of governmental intrusions in the future. But we have to keep pounding the moral argument. It's really slow. But I think it's the only thing that permanently changes the way people think.
0: Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, look at how the psychopaths and sociopaths that run things always hammer us with dead children. We've got to invade because of the babies in incubators. Not true. We've got to attack Assad, he launched the chemical attack. Turns out it's not true. And people are now wise to this, but they program us using the fact that we do have morals. We do care. So how does the average individual that does have morals, that does have empathy, individually, how do we deal with the collectivists that are so good at punching our buttons? Well, I I just simply ask, how does this rule apply to you? Whenever somebody in authority gives
1: me a rule, I say, how does this apply to you? This got me in trouble even when I was in high school. And they said, well, you have to pass these tests in order to show us that you know stuff. And I remember saying to the teacher at the time, well, which tests do you have to pass to prove that you're a good teacher? You know, my parents don't pay you voluntarily. I'm not here by choice. So how on earth, how does this rule that you're inflicting on me apply to you? I mean, do you know, I'm sure you know this, that... The senators and congressmen who voted yes to these murderous strikes on Syria, these potential strikes Got on 83% Syria.
0: 83% more defense money than the others. Yeah, I mean, the the,
1: the the all of the economic, quote, growth that has occurred over the last four or five years have been public sector jobs, the majority of which are in the military-industrial complex. War, and it's a tragic thing to say about a glorious nation which once uh, uh, was central to free trade, war is the last prop, on the sinking ship, it's the last little thing that's keeping this this house of cards up called the American economy. If you stop war, if you end war, if you stop having 700 bases overseas, if you stop poking the hornets' nests of crazy groups overseas, if you stop spending on war, the American economy, as we know it, will simply collapse. And nobody wants to be at the helm of that. That's why they have to keep poking up these crazy conflicts. Since the early 1960s, every three years, the American government has invaded or bombed some foreign country. Oh, but we're the world's peacemakers and policemen and so on. My goodness. If the police are consistently waging home invasions, we can expect the citizens to be a little suspicious about the serve and protect motto.
0: By the way, the Washington Post came out with a big report over the weekend admitting, and, and, and there have been indictments, all over Maryland, they target old people they know can't take care of themselves and can't defend themselves as predators do. You know, a sick gazelle, the lion goes after it on people that had paid the property taxes. You know, the headline is people had houses taken for 44 unpaid dollars, but actually some of them, they set them up because they wanted their house. Well, I discovered this happening in Austin 16 years ago and people didn't believe me, it later came out. Imagine the predatory evil, but really, as you would say, it's only an extension of the feudal tax on your property. You don't really own your property. We didn't have a property tax the last 60, 70 years in this country, it was abolished in feudal Germany in the 1880s, but they brought it back. And now Germany has German citizens that fled here with their children to homeschool being sent back to have the parents put in jail for 20 years and the children taken. The truth is, the government is a cult of criminals. I mean, they are absolutely outrageous criminals, and here is more proof. Well, in New York, if you don't pay your
1: property taxes, the government uh, has very kindly, it's very, very nice and generous of them, Alex, of course. They very kindly allowed you to come and work for them for free to pay off your property taxes. Now, if that is not serfdom slash slavery, if this is not a ghastly little rotting leprous finger of the Middle Ages poking its way through the space-time continuum into the 21st century, what is? I mean, little old ladies are going there to shuffle papers and, and answer questions on the phone for no pay because the government has asserted a claim over their legally owned private property and you have to pay these people off or they come throw you out of your house.
0: When as men, we should say, how dare you say an old woman doesn't own her house when it's paid for? They're tax exempt, but, but it doesn't matter. They just do whatever they want. And no amount of taxes is ever enough to pay them. Explain to people, cause you break this down well, how we're like these different uh, farms, countries are different farms and how historically the problem is when you do get a free country with low taxes and regulations, it becomes so wealthy that even if the tax is tiny, it builds a giant government parasite and you always end up in the same place.
1: Yeah, this is the great lesson of the last few hundred years. And again, I point to uh, America created philosophically, morally, as the smallest government that the human race had ever seen. What an incredible feat to to philosophically create the smallest government the world had ever seen. And since then, it has grown into the very largest, the very most powerful, the most dangerous government the world has ever seen, Uh, with the most reach in the world, with the capacity to destroy human life many times over in countless different ways, with a prison population at the moment in America that is larger than the Gulag Apicalago under Stalin. This is what came out of the very smallest government. And the reason it happens, very briefly, is that a small government allows for free trade. Free trade creates the division of labor and, and, and Say's law and all of the efficiencies that occur through that and economic growth is Five, six, seven, eight, nine percent per year creates massive wealth, enormous wealth, unprecedented wealth. In the, in the United States in the 19th century, standards of livings went up many times and the price of things went down. For a hundred years, can we imagine this in this current hyperinflation, cancer-based fiat currency nightmare that we live in, that prices continually go down, that everything is like computers. And what happens is as the wealth grows, the government can take more and more of that wealth, and people still feel wealthy. You know, if my if my income has doubled over the past 10 years and my taxes have gone up 20%, I still feel richer. And then what the government can do, and this is the most chilling thing that occurs, what the government can do is it can say, based upon your future taxes, it can borrow in the here and now, as treasury bonds and all the national debt, they can say, well, you know what? My tax livestock, uh, they're going to be producing a lot of taxes in the future. So it's like a farmer borrowing against his crop productivity. in the. And they do the next, that on the birth
0: summer. certificates. It's, it's debt slaves. Yeah, it's debt
1: slaves. And so what happens is they sell off the unborn. Talk about taxation without representation. You don't even exist yet and you're being taxed. And so they sell off the unborn. They create these huge debts and they use that to bribe people in the here and now, which maintains their power. The biggest power of the king is to give gifts. And he gives gifts in return for uh, supporting murder or uh, uh, hiding murder through stories in the mass media. And so you get this situation where freedom breeds tyranny. It's a terrible cycle that occurs. England uh, in the in the 17th, 18th century was really the country along with the Le- Netherlands that really invented what is called modern free trade, got rid of mercantilism, got rid of the guilds of the Middle Ages, allowed free trade. And what happened? They became a giant empire. Free trade leads to empire. And this is the only way to interrupt this cycle is to really question the degree to which we can allow any institution to initiate the use of force in
0: society. Power always yeah, that's corrupts. that's the problem. That's the problem. Freedom... Creates incredible wealth, and then your grandkids become spoiled demons. Man, the broadcast just goes too long, and I got a bunch of callers, but holding to talk to myself and Stefan Molyneux. Do a little bit of overdrive uh, with Stefan. You go up to Infowars.com, you can see the Infowars poll. How do you think the conflict in Syria will turn out? 54% said World War Three. I usually agree with the folks voting there, but I don't wanna agree with that. Uh, but it it, it it does show that elites generally do expand wars when they get in trouble, and that's the problem. But Stefan, I don't wanna hog anymore. I wanna to go to a few calls here, but briefly. How do you fix it then if liberty brings prosperity and then brings a big government? I guess you're saying you can't allow any government then?
1: Well, again, if you're gonna have the non-initiation of the use of force, I would argue that we should explore the possibility that this can be truly universalized which means I wonder the degree to which we can have spontaneous self-organization within society. Now, I know it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's probably a multi-generational change, but I think we should certainly explore it. I don't know any way to interrupt this cycle. Once you have wealth in a society and a group of people who can use force at will, power corrupts and there's no human being who's immune from that. I mean... I'd like to think if you gave me power over the world tomorrow I'd do a good job, but I'd probably just slide into the same pit of slimy viciousness that, that seems to befall everyone else who gains power. So uh, you know it is uh, you know it's a funny kind of ring. The only thing to do is drop it in the mountain uh, of, of fire. I just don't know any other way that we can we can deal with this problem in the long run. but again, it's it's generations away, I think that kind of stuff.
0: I think one big answer is having places for free people to run to so that there's diversity, and that's why space colonies, you name it, undersea, you name it, Antarctic, uh, the Arctic, uh, th- that's why I'm so scared of the collectivists getting the global government in place because they want to shut down competition and kind of have a monopoly.
1: Yes, well, certainly global government, there's this fantasy, and and uh, Sam Harris talks about it, there's this fantasy that if we have a global government, we can eliminate war, because as he points out, there's no civil wars uh, in America anymore because there's a strong federal government. Uh, it is really not the case. The only thing that we can say about the modern world is that instead of, you know, originally they just stole people's... <laughs> organs for food and so on cannibals and so on and then they ended up stealing people's bodies for labor we have at least evolved to the point where they're only stealing our money and not actually putting us to work in the fields as slaves or serfs or whatever so you know this is the the grim slow snail on a razor blade progress of the human species that now and now they're not even stealing our money directly i mean there's a certain amount of taxation but they're stealing it through inflation they're stealing it through debt and you know as, as has been said by many not one in a thousand can trace uh, what is really going on so it's this kind of weird thing instead of holding us down and just sucking our blood directly it's like they're teleporting it out of our body like cell by cell or something so there is some advantage and the advantage that's is right, that we're seeing right.
0: more of what the elites do Sorry, go ahead. All right, Stefan, stay there. We're going to come back into overdrive, take some phone calls. Infowars.com right. is our site, PrisonPlanet.com. Your site, Freedom, our freedomainradio.com. I'm going to take you out with a clip of Assad uh, talking about what will happen if they are hit. Here's that clip.
3: Tell me what you mean by expect everything.
2: Expect every action.
0: Including everything. chemical warfare?
2: That depends if the... Uh, if the rebels or the uh, terrorists in this region or any other group have it? It could happen, I don't know. We don't'm i not fortune teller to tell you what's going to happen. But we'd like to know more and I think the president would like to more American people like to know, yeah. you know if there's an attack, you know what might
1: be the repercussions and who might be engaged in those repercussions?
2: Before the 11th of September, in my discussion, with many officials in the United States, some of them are congressmen. I used to, to say that don't deal with the terrorists in, uh, as uh, playing games. It's a different story. You're going to pay the price if you're not wise in dealing with the terrorists. So nobody expected. We said there's going to be a repercussion of the uh, mistaken way of dealing with it, of treating the terrorism. But nobody expected 11th of September. So you cannot expect. It's difficult for anyone to tell you what's going to happen it's it's the area where everything is on the brink of explosion We have to expect everything
0: big brother mainstream media government cover-ups you want answers well so does he he's alex jones on the gcn radio network and now live from austin texas alex jones Stefan Molyneux is our guest. I'm your host, Alex Jones. Let's go to Dan in South Carolina. Give us his take on what's happening in the world. Uh, Dan, thanks for holding her on the air. Go ahead.
3: Thank you, Alex. Uh, I wanted to say, first of all, I'm totally on board with what Stefan is talking about. It's, uh, you know, you, it's it's like a, a nightmare. It's, it's surreal, but it's, it's true. But it underscores why I called you in the first place, why I've been on hold for so long. Because I want to mention Public Law 112-150 and Senate Bill 462, which is now in committee. It was 462 was written in March, and in Section 2, Paragraph 6, it says Congress finds that the civil war in Syria is threatening Syria's chemical weapons arsenal, which could be deployed against some people or fall into the hands of terrorists. That was back in March.
0: Oh, yeah, they've and been scripting this whole thing for a year and a half. I mean, well, th- that's the thing is the, the, they target their propaganda as if we're not even paying attention because it's targeting the population that doesn't know what planet they're on.
3: Well, Section 3 of the of the 2012 version of this bill, Section 3 says that it is, it is the policy of the U.S. to veto any one-sided anti-Israel resolutions in the U.N. Security Council. How can they put a provision like that into a U.S. law? And by the way, it's 22 U.S.C. 8602. It is the law of the land. How can, I mean, the, these two bills, Alex, are, are so revealing. There's all That's kinds- right. That's
0: another great point is how do you say what's anti-Israel to begin with? And how can you put in law something concerning another country? Uh, talk about foreign entanglements. In fact, Let me write that down because I was aware of that law, but uh, give me the law again.
3: Public law 112-150, that's uh, 2012, and then Senate Bill 462, which is now in the Foreign Relations Committee. Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Listen,
0: listen, I appreciate you bringing that up. Stefan, there's an example of globalism. Now it's not just U.S. laws. More and more of these treaties and things were being put under other countries' laws as well. Yeah, which is really to say that there are no
1: laws because, I mean, one of the things that's depressing for them, I appreciate the caller bringing it up, how many letters was it for that law? I mean, six, eight, ten letters or something like that. I mean, we, we really shouldn't have a legal system that's, that's that complicated because it's impossible to obey any of these laws. So there's some books out there that say you and I accidentally commit three felonies a day, whether we like it or not. You know, how about thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill? Um don't bear some false witness, and maybe no raping. Uh, I think that would be some pretty basic laws that we could all live by. I mean, the complexity of, of what the legal system has become is so monstrous that it, we feel like that scene in, in Brazil where Robert De Niro is getting eaten by the paper monster. So the idea that there are these laws in our current society, now if we're going to go into international obligations and treaties, who on earth has any clue about what is legal or not? The only thing that we know is that the elites are above the law because they can order, say, extraordinary rendition and and torture, all of which are against international law. They can invade other countries against international law, not only suffer no negative consequences, but, you know, get presidential libraries uh, named after them, pensions and speaking tours.
0: They are the global mafia, but I think that their little reign is coming to an end. Uh, Unfortunately, folks, we're out of time. Sorry to the other callers. If Farrell and Martin and Elliot and Jeremy and others Call me back tomorrow. I promise you'll go to the head of the line. We covered a lot of it, more on the nightly news tonight, seven o'clock central. Stefan, I know you're gonna uh, be back on the show very, very soon. Thank you for coming on with us. Thanks, Alice. A real pleasure. Real pleasure having you on, really get people thinking, smart guy. Uh, folks, uh, again, if you're not a PrisonPlanet.tv member, it's all about free association. We don't make you become a member. I wish you would become a PrisonPlanet.tv member. To support the transmission, But more importantly, so you can share your membership with your friends and family and wake them up. We'll see you back on the Nightly News tonight, 7 o'clock Central, prisonplanet.tv. Great job with the crew.